Welcome, one and all. I'm Brent Holland, and welcome to today's show. Folks, I want to dedicate today's show to an international statesman, a true visionary, and above all, a humanitarian. And that person, folks, is my close friend, Ted Sorensen, who passed away October 31st, 2010. More on that later, but right now, history will record, folks, that Canada has led the way once again in bringing about minority rights, and the champion of that cause, history will also record, may go down as one of the greatest international statesmen of the 21st century. That person that championed that cause, our very own Prime Minister Paul Martin. He joins us this afternoon to tell us directly the struggle that it took to get those minority rights through Parliament. He has also championed other causes that are near and dear to my heart, such as Aboriginal rights. Paul Martin, folks was the right man for the right time with the right causes. He was able to push those things through to make Canada equal for all of its citizens. Our best natural resource, folks, is our citizens. And when those citizens aren't considered equal, we have a major problem. Every citizen of this country has something to offer. Minority rights, individual rights, must be respected and entrenched. Once again... Canada led the way, same-sex marriage. Prime Minister Paul Martin. And then, at the age of 17, uh, this young woman met another young woman. And all of a sudden, they realized, and she realized, where the issue lay. And her parents supported her. Subsequently, this young lady went on and got her PhD. She's now on the West Coast with her partner. And she's very, very happy. And I've got to say that that story had a huge effect on me. Because the question I simply put to myself was, well, what right do we have to deny happiness to people? Um and that was, uh, and I've got to say that uh, <laughs> after that, there was simply no question in my mind. This afternoon, we go directly into the Prime Minister's office with none other than Prime Minister Paul Martin, right now on Brent Holland. go and just to give you a little bit of a, a personal story we actually have met three years ago prior to us moving to Sudbury we were at the Canada Day celebrations in Villasal. they're a very big thing they're tremendous those Canada Day celebrations they really put on a great show in LaSalle and of course it's a beautiful site you know right down by the rapids and everything yeah it's absolutely gorgeous and I had just started dating a young Persian woman 
who uh, I had met at McGill, and I took her down, and you were kind enough to feed us some spaghetti that day, sir. <laughs> I, well, that's right. I've done, I, I think I did that every, every, I've done that every Canada Day for probably about almost 20 years. My job, they, they, they won't let me serve up the spaghetti, be quite a, my job is to put the cheese on the spaghetti that you get. I'll tell you, the responsibilities are strictly regimented, and, I, and the responsibilities that the Italian community gives to me are very, very circumscribed. <laughs> you have to follow orders, or you get in trouble. I, I'm quite aware of that, sir. Believe me, just to let you know, that young Persian lady, I had told her, I said, do you know who that is? And she said, no. And I said, that's the Prime Minister of Canada. And of course, coming from Iran, Ahmadinejad and everything. And she looked at me and she said, he's serving? And I said, yeah, welcome to Canada. And I thought that was the perfect metaphor for her introductory to Canada. And how did the relationship work out? Why do you think I'm in Sudbury? <laughs> There you go. Well, Sudbury, I love Sudbury. I think it's great. I mean, not bad connection, Sudbury and Montreal. There you go. Folks, if you're just joining us, we have a wonderful guest for you this afternoon, Prime Minister Paul Martin. His book, of course, Hell or High Water, Life in and Out of Politics. Easy way to get it is always www.brenthollandshow.com. Just click on the book cover as always. We'll take you right to a place where you can get it online from the comfort of your own home. Prime Minister, let's start off right away. You know, I think history is going to record... Prime Minister Paul Martin as one of the greatest statesmen and world leaders in the 21st century. And I'll tell you why. Like President Kennedy before you, sir, and Dr. King, you fought the good fight. You fought the good fight because like them, they fought for minority rights. In, of course, in President Kennedy's case, Dr. King's case, folks, civil rights for African-American citizens living in the United States. With Prime Minister Martin's case, same-sex marriage. And that's where I want to go right now. Sir, so originally you had opposed same-sex marriage in 1999, but then something happened that allowed you to champion this cause. And I think by you championing this with your stature as a world-class statesman, Canada once again became the leader in minority rights. Can you tell us a little bit about that whole process that brought you around to championing this cause? Well, yes, I can. When the, the vote uh, first came up um, in the House of Commons, it had not become the top of mind issue that it subsequently became, and the vast majority uh, of members of Parliament, including uh, uh, a great number who subsequently uh, voted for same-sex marriage a couple of years later, uh, voted for the traditional definition, and it was done without a great deal of thought. If you were of of my generation, it is not an issue that you had, I think, given sufficient thought to, certainly in retrospect, and then, and that is the way that that I voted. But there were two, there were two things that certainly uh, changed my mind. Uh, one of them uh, was, uh, of course, uh, the fact that all of the provincial appeal courts, all of the senior courts in all in the provinces, all in fact essentially said that this was a charter question, a charter of rights question. And I've got to say that I believe that the Canadian Charter of Rights is one of the great pieces of legislation anywhere in the world. In a democracy, it is not at all impossible that the majority rights uh, will be used to oppress minority rights. And it's something that you've got to watch. And the fact that this is given over to the courts to ensure that minority rights are protected, I think is absolutely essential. 
Um, and we can go into that if you, uh, in much greater length. And so the fact that these appeal courts all across the country said this is a charter issue, and I believe very strongly in a charter, obviously gave us a great deal of impetus. But I think the, the story that you're referring to is that as I was going through the, the transition and my own thought on this, you know, by the way, a transition that, for instance, that my sons never went through, and this is very much a generational issue, I think, as you know. I mean, the, the younger generation, for, for them, this was never a question. But as I was going through this transition issue, I had a chat with a friend of mine and who, who told me the following story, that he, that he had a young daughter who was very bright, somebody who just was the, the, the jewel of their family. And roughly around the age of 12 or 13, um, he began to notice a bit of a change um, in her. Um, and uh, as she, when she turned 14, it got worse, 15, it got worse. And by the time that, that she was 16, nobody in the family knew, including her, wherein lay the problem. But they were very, very worried about her because she started to get depressed. Um, and they were worried, ultimately, what would she do? And then, at the age of 17, this young, uh, this young woman met another young woman. And all of a sudden, they realized, and she realized, what it was all about, what, what, what the problem was, and where, where the issue lay. And she came to her parents, and she told her parents, and her parents supported her. And subsequently, uh, this young lady went on and got her PhD, uh, and she's now on the West Coast with her partner, and she's very, very happy. And I've got to say that that story had a huge effect on me, because the question I simply put to myself was, well, what right do we have to deny happiness to people? Um, and that was, uh, and I've got to say that uh, <laughs> after that, there was simply no question in my mind. Folks, we're talking with Prime Minister Paul Martin today. The book is called Hell or High Water, My Life in and Out of Politics. Easy way to get it, of course, www.brenthollandshow.com. Click on the book cover. Order it from the comfort of your own home. Let's stay on that for a second because minority rights are essential. It is not entrenched in our constitution, as I understand it, in the charter. After you're reading your book, sir, I was quite surprised at this, that it is not entrenched in the charter, same-sex marriage, that indeed it was voted in and could be voted out again. And this was alarming to me. Well, yes, but I don't, I don't think that it... Um, I, I, I actually don't think that it, that it would, because if it was voted out, uh, it would then become um, a charter issue, um, and the government which brought it in would have challenged the charter. I can't believe that uh, there is a court in the land um, at this stage that would not simply deem the, that legislation um, contrary to the charter, and it would not pass. And it, government at that point might use the notwithstanding clause, but I just think that by this time, public opinion would not allow that to happen. You know, you just mentioned something else that is near and dear to my heart, the notwithstanding clause. And here's where you showed a lot of chutzpah. I was wondering if you can take us directly into the PMO, the Prime Minister's office, and tell us how you wanted to take that notwithstanding clause out of the charter because I think it's I think it was an essential tool in order to create a unity if you will a mechanism to repatriate the constitution but I think it is something that has become hmm, kind of a pandora's box for us well I, I think that uh, I, I, I certainly I, I understand your question at the time that Prime Minister Trudeau brought in the charter he was opposed to the notwithstanding clause the notwithstanding clause uh, is is essentially uh, something that would allow a, a legislature uh, to overturn a, cur a court decision, at least for a five-year period, uh, that, that had upheld 
the court's interpretation of the charter. Um, Mr. Trudeau was opposed to this, but it was eventually a compromise that he made with the provinces uh, in order to repatriate the Constitution and get the charter through. Um, at the time, um, I understood, I certainly understood the, the debate, and I had some sympathy with a, a notwithstanding clause that would in that would essentially reassert uh, the primacy of, of Parliament, because it's, if you believe in a democracy, uh, you've got to say that Parliament, Parliament's voice um, uh, certainly should carry. Um, I must say that after I got into government and saw the inner workings, and this is the question you're asking, saw the inner workings of government, it became very clear to me uh, that, um, despite the best of intentions, that it was possible. Uh, either uh, for minority rights to be trampled on by a parliament um, um, who essentially uh, was, was not prepared to take minority rights into account or in fact unwittingly by a bureaucracy uh, which would be you know so so dedicated to a certain point of view that they might run roughshod over them and again it come back it came back to look I think that the only way you can protect uh, minority rights is if, in fact, you give the rights, the, you give the absolute right to the court, uh, the Supreme Court of Canada, uh, to determine whether, in fact, a particular action has breached has breached the charter. And so, I basically came to the conclusion that the federal government uh, should essentially abdicate or, or its right to use the notwithstanding clause or legislate against it. Um, and uh, I would have done that had I stayed in office. www.brenthollandshow.com. Click on the book cover. It's called Hell or High Water. Wait till you find out who the author is and our guest today, Prime Minister Paul Martin, of course. And he's taking us through those critical times during his prime ministership. He's telling us about his thought process, a process that we can integrate into our own lives as well in crisis times. Let's talk about your faith now for a second. You had mentioned John Kennedy, first Catholic president in the United States, and the stuff that he went through. Uh, a good friend of mine has just passed away, Ted Sorensen, John Kennedy's speechwriter. He was telling me that people actually believed in 1960, folks. Are you ready for this? That the Pope was able to transmit his desires telepathically to Catholics around the world. This was the type of rhetoric and craziness that was going on. Therefore, if the United States elected a Catholic president, he would be under the direct mind control, no kidding, of the Pope. You've gone through, I won't say something similar, but a little bit of a parallel there because, you know, obviously the Catholic Church is against abortion. It is also against same-sex marriage. How did you come in your own life to a cherry pick, I think you called it, was the phrase that you called it in the book? Which ones you would follow, which ones you wouldn't? You know, first of all, I, I believe very strongly in the separation of uh, church and state. Second of all, I, I believe that... that when I was elected as a member of parliament and ultimately as prime minister to exercise my best judgment, but not my best judgment necessarily influenced by my, by my religion. I am a practicing Catholic. I am a strong Catholic and I, 
I certainly do believe my conscience and a, a great deal of my views um, has been very strongly influenced, and I'm proud of that by, by the Catholic Church. But when, I can, when it comes time to dealing uh, with the issues of the kind that we're talking about, I, I think that I have got to look to my conscience, and that conscience has got to be influenced by a wider perspective um, as possible. And I did that, and, and I, I, I must say that I was influenced, uh, I suppose, at a much younger age by the debates that took place in the United States with President Kennedy, but also with, uh, with Cuomo, who at, at that time, sure. you know, was his son has just become governor, um, but who, Mario Cuomo, who, you know, essentially wrote very articulately on this and as, as a Catholic. Um, and, and I think that it's very important. And I, one of the, the only things that I would say to people who would disagree with me, who kept other Catholics who might disagree with me, is to say, wait a minute, if somebody else of a different faith uh, became prime minister, would you not expect them uh, to look at the widest perspective possible. And I, most people would at that point agree. Folks, our guest today, Prime Minister Paul Martin, we're discussing various aspects during his prime ministership. The next one I want to come to is another subject that is near and dear to my heart. Prime Minister, I had the honor of having David Suzuki on the show. And of course, he champions Aboriginal rights as well as environmental subjects. He was saying, and I completely agree with him from doing my own research as well, and plus there's a huge Native population right here in the Sudbury area, much more so than I've been accustomed to in Montreal, of course. Natives folks across the land, and Mr. Suzuki will attest to this, have an inherent bonding with the land, not in a romantic sense, but in a very, very real sense. They believe they are keepers of the land. Now, I know you have a Métis background as well, sir, and you've championed another cause that I think is absolutely phenomenal. It's called the Martin Aboriginal Educational Initiative. I think this is something that the students that are listening right now would like to hear about. Can you tell us about that, sir? Well, uh, there are there are very there are many ways of coming. Uh, coming to your question, you can go, you know, quite deeply back into Canadian history. Uh, you can look at certainly the question of minority rights that you and I have just been discussing. Um, but let's look at probably the, the most glaring modern statistic. Uh, there are under 10%, maybe 8 to 9% of, of young Canadians who go to, uh, go to high school who do not graduate. So close to 90% graduate. Uh, from uh, from high school, um, off reserve uh, that number for Aboriginal Canadians. This is either First Nations, Métis, uh, or Inuit. Uh, the number is forty percent who do not graduate from high school. On reserve, the number is sixty percent, um, and so it's it's pretty clear that uh, that the you know that there's a there's a problem uh, you know of deep proportions here. Uh, and then when you add to that, uh, that Aboriginal Canadians are the youngest and the fastest growing segment of our population, and we are an aging population, not only are we dealing with what I believe is a moral issue, I mean, the fact is those graduation rates mean that these young people are really not going to have the same quality of life as the others, but you're dealing with an economic issue. Here we've got a population of 34 um, a million. We're competing with countries like China and India with a billion two. Uh, we cannot afford to waste one single young person. And so what we did was to 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 set up the the uh, the, the initiative uh, where we have two model schools, uh, grade schools in uh, on two reserves in south southern Ontario, and then we have what we call our youth entrepreneurship program, which. People have demonstrated that if you teach young people about business, it 
it's actually a great incentive for them to stay in school. And one of the things I'm very glad to say in Sudbury is that while this is a program that is in high schools now, right throughout Western Canada, and we're on a reserve school in, in Thunder Bay as an example, and we're moving into uh, to Atlantic Canada, um, Laurentian University is pioneering uh, what I believe is going to be a real breakthrough, and that is uh, that um, out of the two school districts uh, that are in, in the Sudbury area, um, young Aboriginals are taking our grade 12 course um, at Sudbury, or at Laurentian, I'm sorry, uh, and they're getting both a high school credit and they're getting a university credit for it. And this is, this is the first time this has been done anywhere in Canada. In fact, it's probably one of the first times it's been done anywhere in North America. Um, and I think this showed great leadership by Laurentian um, and by the two Sudbury school boards. Uh, where, where this is happening, and we're very, very excited, excited about it, and I think that what you're seeing happening at Laurentian is really a model that will be used right across the country. I think it's very exciting indeed, and it's again, it's a leadership initiative that you have championed, and I admire you for that, sir, completely. Erwin Kotler. Erwin Kotler's been on the show Prime Minister, I'd just like you to say a few words in Irwin's uh, favor, because uh, as everybody knows, he was nominated for the 2010 Nobel Peace Prize. He didn't win it, but to be nominated is something else. One of the, one of the really fortunate things uh, that, that happened to me when I was Prime Minister was the ability uh, to ask Erwin uh, Kotler, who is probably certainly one of, if not the greatest of Canada's human rights lawyers, um, and, you know, he's an international figure. I mean, you go to the Middle East and you talk about Erwin Kotler, and I mean, the eyes just light up. And I was able to ask Erwin to become my Minister of Justice. And uh, I don't have to tell you, he was just, he, he, he influenced not only myself, but our cabinet, he influenced the House of Commons, but he has had an influence right across the country and far beyond our borders. Uh, he's really one of the great minds, and he, he has been a pioneer. And he's continuing to do this. I mean, Erwin Cotter doesn't, doesn't need to be a minister to have influence. And uh, I, I think he certainly would have justified winning the prize, justified winning the prize. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Folks, our guest today, Prime Minister Paul Martin. Sir, I've only got a couple of more questions for you. As you know, this show is broadcast primarily to university students. There's a story, sir, that, that comes from your past that I heard you speak of quite fondly, actually. And that was once when your wife made a certain type of brownies for you. <laughs> got you. <ya. laughs> okay, I'm going to move on from that. You don't have to respond. I'll leave it up to the to the listeners. Well, the story, well, let me just go ahead. Go ahead. The story is true. Uh, the story. The story is absolutely true. Uh, I'm, I'm quite happy to you know this was this was so many years ago. I can barely remember it, but I had never in my life come anywhere near marijuana. And uh, somebody, a friend of mine, I guess, brought a little bit to the to the house, and uh, said, "You want to roll it in a cigarette?" Well, I didn't smoke, and uh, there was no way that it was going to work. And so, <laughs> put it into some brownies that my wife made, and I, 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 I tasted them. I've got to say that they were probably the best tasting brownies I ever had <laughs> the last time as well. 
<laughs> and it led uh, led to inspiration. No, we won't even go there. Last question for you, sir. And I do appreciate your time today. By the way, folks, we're speaking with Prime Minister Paul Martin. We're having a bit of fun right now. His book, Hell or High Water, My Life in and Out of Politics, www.brenthollandshow.com. Click on the book cover. We'll take you right to a place where you can order it from the comfort of your own home. Imagine yourself, sir, at a podium virtually speaking to every university student in Canada and international students as well, as the show's broadcast also across the Internet. What would you say to them? Oh, I think that uh, that um, they are, when they graduate from, from university, they are probably going to be entering into, I think, one of the most exciting times in, in, uh, in human history. Um, you know, globalization... As I have uh, known it, as uh, and as you've known it, uh, Mr. Holland, and uh, you know, is is not necessarily a new concept. I mean, the, the Roman Empire was part of globalization, uh, but never, never before in history has the interdependence of nations been what it is today. I mean, you take a look at in, from the, on the negative side, this bank crisis was not simply a bank crisis in one country or another. It was a it was a global crisis. Climate change is clearly uh, a, a global issue, uh, but when you couple that with essentially the rise of the Asian nations, uh, to where there is no longer a single dominant power, but that there are quite a number, the opportunity for Canada is beyond belief. Uh, as a smaller country, when one country dominates the world, obviously there's the, the opportunities are are less. But when there are a number of global powers jockeying for position, a country like Canada, uh, with our wealth. Uh, and our educational uh, uh, um, network has a tremendous opportunity to have an influence. Uh, and I believe that a young Canadian, or in fact a young person from anywhere in the world, the opportunities that are going to be presented, I think we've got a bumpy road ahead of us economically for about the next five or six years, but the, the opportunities beyond that, I think, are going to, are, are, have never been seen before. Uh, and as long as the world can work together, and that's what the G20, which I had a lot to do with, is if it can function properly, I think that I think that that what we have to do to bring people together to deal with the problems of poverty in Africa, on the one hand, hopefully to resolve the issues of climate change, uh, on the other, are tremendous. And I think it's going to be all up to these young people. And I really, I really envy them uh, the world they have ahead of them. I think that's perfect, sir. And I want to thank you so much for being prime minister and championing all those causes we've just discussed. Thank you, sir, for joining us this afternoon. Well, look, I look forward to maybe seeing you in Sudbury, but if you come back to Verdun, give me a call. I will for sure, sir. And uh, right. my, my mom's after me all the time to come and visit. Will you tell your mother that she's right and that a son should come home and see her? <laughs> there you go. Sir, what puts a smile on your face these days? Uh, oh, I just think, uh, I think uh, life. Uh, you know, it sounds a little bit like you. I suspect that we're both motivated by many of the same things. I, what you, I just said to the university students, you, you know, I mean, I think I've got another... 10 years to participate in that world and I'm I'm really I'm really having a lot of fun at it. Good for you, sir. And thank you once again. All the very best to you. And the best to you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. I sincerely, sincerely do want to thank Prime Minister Paul Martin for taking the time out of his schedule to come on our show today. You know, folks, I'm fond of saying people don't come on this show because they're guaranteed to sell a zillion books. They don't come on this show because the NCRA is a high-profile public network. They come on this show for one reason only, because they care and they care to inspire people 
the people that come on this show are just like you and me. They all put their pants on one leg at a time. There is no reason why you can't pick up the mantle yourself and champion one of these causes. And that's what this show is trying to do. We're trying to give you templates, if you will, that you can integrate into your own life in your own crisis situations. www.brenthollandshow.com Do your research online from the people that went through these tumultuous times, as Prime Minister Martin did when he championed those causes, same-sex marriage, aboriginal rights. Also, I have to mention Ted Sorensen. Ted Sorensen, I consider a friend of mine. He has just passed away tragically. When I was down in New York interviewing three Nobel Peace laureates, I had the honor of sitting across from Ted for an hour and a half in the living room in his apartment. That's his last interview, folks. Ted Sorensen was a visionary unlike any. He saw the world as one, truly as one. His words elevated the soul. He will be sadly missed. More importantly, his legacy will live forever. If you're doing real life history research, Ted Sorensen's interviews are there. You want to find out what happened in the Oval Office during the Cuban Missile Crisis? You can't get any closer to reality than what Ted tells us doesn't get any more real than that, folks. I'm Brent Holland. I want to thank everyone for listening. See you next time. Yeah.